Hey, Velocity Church, it's great to be worshiping with you this morning. And as we get into this sermon, we're not really in a sermon series. We've got a lot of individual sermons for the month of July. Uh, This is something that I've been thinking about for quite a while now. And it's something I mentioned actually a couple weeks ago. I talked about how there are so many opportunities, it seems like, for division these days. So many people are on so many different sides of so many different issues. And that's why it's so important that we remain focused and centered on who Jesus is, why we remain connected to the vine, so we can be sure that we're producing the kind of fruit that Jesus calls us to. And one of the primary catalysts for division right now aren't even necessarily the issues themselves. And don't get me wrong, there are plenty of very important issues that are worth talking about that are going on right now in our world. Uh, But the primary problem for most of that is actually our attitudes and how we're talking about them with or about or against each other. Uh, The biggest problem is anger. At least that's what I see in most areas of most issues that are being talked about right now. People feel so impassioned about them that they're willing to use that passion as a weapon against other people. Let me uh, share a meme with you, and and just to set this up, this is something that I've seen. I've seen a lot of different memes shared over the last few months. This is one that's been shared by a lot of pastors, and I'm not saying that it's perfectly reflective of my experience or anything like this, and this is meant for us to have a chuckle about. I did, and so I hope you enjoy it as well. Uh, But this is specifically about giving you a small glimpse into the behind the scenes of maybe what it's been like for a lot of churches across our nation. And so here's the meme. Three weeks ago, church member number one, Pastor, why in the world are you reopening church services so soon? And then church member number two comes up and says, Pastor, why in the world did you ever shut down services in the first place? And then two weeks ago, the timeline's a little off, but you you get it. Church member number one comes up and says, Pastor, you don't seem to care about the struggle of minorities. And then church member number two immediately comes up and says, Pastor, why haven't you been more supportive of the police? And then one week ago, church member number one comes up and says, Require masks. Pastor, clearly you don't care about human lives. And then church member number two comes up and says, Require masks. Pastor, clearly you don't care about human liberty. And this week, the prayer is, Lord, aren't you wanting me to sell cars now? Surely you want me to get into something, something different. I, I, hope, I hope you can enjoy that uh, along with me, because if I didn't laugh about it, maybe, maybe I'd cry. I, I, I don't know. I was talking with a pastor friend a couple weeks ago, and he was telling me about how he had preached a sermon, and he had two different families, unbeknownst to each other, contact him the next week and said that they were leaving the church As a result of a sermon. Now, what makes it interesting is that they were leaving for the exact opposite reasons based on that message, which most of the time when that happens, what that means is the Holy Spirit was convicting and he probably hit the nail right on the head, but they missed it because of their anger. And they, instead of being convicted from the Holy Spirit, they chose their own self-righteousness. And I wish I could tell you that those types of scenarios are unique and rare, but unfortunately for all of us, uh, they're all too common occurrences, and it's because we're human. And anger is a part of our emotional response to the world around us. We were designed, and there are good uses for anger, but most of the time, we get it wrong. That's precisely the problem with our anger. It's an all-too-common occurrence that strains relationships to their breaking point. And it seems like now more than ever, 
we have entered into an age of outrage. That's the first response that we have. Largely, I think, because we have a difficult time discerning uh, our, the difference between inherently moral and ethically and spiritual evil, and that's just not the way that I want it to be. Sometimes we're right about what we're angry about. There are absolutes and what's right and what's wrong, and quite frankly, there are things in life that happen that should make us angry. The horrors of war should make us angry. The horrors of abuse should make us angry. And when our faith is misrepresented and misused to harm others, that should make us angry. There is injustice. There are things that will happen to us that are wrong, happen to those who we care about. There are unfair situations, events that will take place, and they're right to be angry about but not to become an angry person as a result of. When we speak, for example, without love, regardless of the veracity of our words, in 1 Corinthians 13, we learn very quickly in the love chapter that when we speak without it, we're really just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. A whole lot of noise, nothing being communicated but our own self-centeredness. And the cacophony of clanging cymbals is deafening. Things that make me angry, for example, if I were to share with you a list of my grievances, I I don't know, maybe we'll have an airing of grievances later if you want to, Uh, but I could share a couple things that make me angry. The sharing of news that isn't true, man, that, that that gets me going real quick. The refusal to acknowledge the pain of others, that makes me angry. The unwillingness to engage in any kind of understanding of someone else's life experience or thought process or having a different point of view, That makes me angry. But mostly, I'm kind of like a parent. I'm just disappointed. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed when I see followers of Jesus who ought to know better behave poorly with their anger. As Christians, we should be leading the way in being calm and being collected and rational voices that are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have, but it's much easier to fall into the trap of being more prepared to give a reason for the ire that we have rather than our hope. The Bible has plenty to say about how we're supposed to handle our anger. We're supposed to get rid of it. We're supposed to not sin as a result of it. But I think James chapter 1 verses 19 through 21 are pretty appropriate for this time period in our lives. And here's what James says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. That's why it's so important that we understand the difference between right and wrong. That's why it's so important that we teach ourselves the difference about, between you know, what we think we deserve and what we're entitled to and how things ought to match up with our own way of thinking. Uh, because when improperly applied, we miss the mark with our anger and the consequences can be devastating. This is how Satan gets a foothold in our lives. Our anger uh, becomes a lie to us. It doesn't produce the righteousness of God. And so we miss the mark when it comes to what our lives are supposed to be about. Part of the lie that slips in to take hold of us is that our anger brings about the satisfaction that we desire, and yet it never does. It still hasn't happened for me. 
I mean, and I don't think it ever will, you know, that that other party deserves what's coming to them because of how we've been wronged or simply because of how wrong we believe someone else is. And so we've got to force them into thinking the way that we think. Um, other than my kids, uh, it, has, it hasn't worked for me uh, to try to force them to think the way I think. And I, I don't know, is it working? I, I don't know. We'll see. Um, how infuriated we become when someone else has the audacity to even think something different than what you and I do, because I know we're right. Like James says in verse 20, however, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I mean, that's the default for our anger. So let that marinate for just a second. When I get angry, my human anger, it, it doesn't produce the righteousness that God requires. And it doesn't mean that there aren't issues of justice that God cares about, that God is angry about without sinning, that we ought to care about too. But we're talking about our default human anger reactions. And it doesn't produce what God wants, because most of the time when we're angry, we're more concerned about what we want. So human anger primarily produces self-righteousness rather than God-righteousness. You know, anger is the result of not getting what we want. Sometimes that even includes not getting what we deserve. Um, sometimes anger isn't just petty. Sometimes it's justified. Sometimes we get passed over for a promotion for somebody who's less qualified or somebody who's a jerk who's been throwing people under the bus, you know, to get ahead in life. And so we're angry about that. Sometimes people in our family harm people in our family or harm us, and that shouldn't happen. We rightfully become angry when somebody breaks the fam a family relationship. Uh, sometimes we're disrespected. Sometimes we're abused. Sometimes people sin. Sometimes people sin against us. causes justified anger in our life. However, we have to be cautious that it doesn't turn us into simply an angry person, because an angry person is a hurt person, and a hurt person is not focused on the grace that God gives and requires. So whether somebody takes our reputation or steals our family or owes us a raise or takes the best years of our lives, uh, when someone owes us something, we want to be paid back, uh, but those debts can't be repaid by that person. And so our anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God requires. Angry people whose actions are only born out of and only inspired by anger are often trying to force repayment, and this leads to a tragic existence. Because if you can't make someone do what you want, you know, nowadays you have to cancel them. And then that means none of us are qualified to move forward at any point in our life because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And that's why it doesn't produce the righteousness that God requires. You know, uh, many people have things that they're justifiably angry about, and if we heard about the injustice that had happened to you, many of us would we'd grab our torches and our pitchforks, and we'd, we'd come and rally uh, to you and fight on your behalf. Uh, but the difference in the anger that we have and the type of anger that God has is that rather than seeking justice for an eye, for an eye revenge quest or harboring anger eating you from the inside out, God uses anger as a reason to seek justice, as a righteous response to sin. But he's not driven by that anger. He's driven by that right, reconciled relationship that he calls all people to himself. 
When we're driven by our own anger, we're replacing ourselves as a debt collector. However, we're not the ones who can erase debt. Only God can do that. And so in Romans chapter 12, Paul points out, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And so when James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, I think he's very intentional about structuring this equation this way. Um, when we're slow to listen and when we're quick to speak, we are quick to become angry. A quick anger drowns out the very opportunity we need for our anger to abate because we need to listen. When we actually sit down, at least this has been true for me in my life, when we actually sit down and have a conversation with someone, we're willing to maintain relationship with someone over something we're upset about, um, it becomes driven more by our shared humanity, and many times we will discover, although I understand sometimes there are irreconcilable differences, but those, also, those all should be based on what God says is right and wrong. Many times that shared commonality that we have as being beings made and created in the image of God will give us an opportunity to come together where we thought we were divided. And so this is why Paul in Ephesians 4 says, get rid of all bitterness, of all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, because these don't allow us to have the type of relationships that God calls us to. We're told to get rid of, to put off, to push away these types of emotions, and all of them, not just some of them. You know, we might think, you know, Paul, this is easier said than done. You lived a couple thousand years ago. You don't have a clue about what life is like right now and how vitriolic everybody is or what it seems like it is. But Paul didn't write these words like hanging out in his backyard, sipping on a mojito in a hammock. He wrote them from prison, unjustly in prison for talking about Jesus, for sharing the gospel. And so did he have a right to be angry? Did he have a path to bitterness there for his life? Sure, he did, but he understood that it doesn't accomplish or produce anything worthwhile. So likewise, James says, therefore, right after he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, therefore, in verse 21, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. The problem is that hurt, rejection, criticism, all these things that happen to us that cause us to be angry, somebody disagreeing with us on a vital, important point of how we think about the world and perceive things around us, um, when we give in to that anger and we let that rule us, we really simply just act like victims. We lash out. We abdicate control in our lives to the situation and events that happen around us. And that's not how Jesus operated. And it's not how he equips us to operate with the gift of the Holy Spirit and bearing the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The problem with a victim mentality or only identifying with victimhood is that it doesn't allow us to see the world as it truly is or, or people as God sees them. I got to share the story that a buddy of mine shared with me earlier this week. I, I, this, 
this kind of stuff is my favorite when this happens. He was taking a turn on a road, uh, and he was taking a right turn, and a lady, sorry, I didn't mean to say that, a driver uh, made an illegal U-turn where you're not supposed to do that, and he knew the road well and, and stuff like that, but this driver got incredibly upset with him, honking on the horn, yelling at him, uh, probably flipping him the bird. I, I, don't, I don't know what all happened, but she was irate, and he was just looking at her like, hey, you know, there's no U-turn there. And this is my favorite part of the story. There was a police officer right behind her, and so he saw the whole thing. And so he flipped on his lights, and he pulled her over, and it's just one of, one of the best things that I've I, I don't know. You've had... I, you know, people fly by you on the interstate. This happens to me all the time. And I look at the guy who's, you know, driving his car, you know, 95 miles an hour. And I'm like, man, why can't there be a cop like right there to be able to catch them and pull them over? So it's great that she immediately, you know, that driver immediately got their comeuppance and that justice happens and it feels good when those things happen. But because that person had let their anger take over all of their reaction and emotion, can you imagine like how silly they felt once they were pulled over, sat on the side of the road, and the police officer came up and told them what had happened and what they had done. And in fact, they were in the wrong all the time. And that's what our anger does. Our anger, human anger, when it comes and generates from us and not from God's righteousness, it puts us in the wrong every time. It's part of being a victim. We start excusing our behavior. We start to believe our own lies, we start to accept our anger or bitterness as part of who we are or what we believe about the world uh, with no obligation to change. And yet, in Ephesians 4, verse 32, Paul writes, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And just as is the key to removing anger as a driving force in our hearts that bitterness and resentment moving away because they have the potential to destroy every relationship in our life when left on its own, just as redefines it, upgrades the meaning of forgiveness because the definition is as Christ God forgave you. And this kind of forgiveness, it doesn't make sense if you're just an angry person. This is the kind of forgiveness that only a forgiven person understands. You know, we don't forgive people because they deserve it. We don't allow somebody else to have a differing opinion because they deserve it. We, we do it because we're forgiven. Because God still chooses to love us, even when we commit our own injustices, injustices against him with our own sin. And so that's the motivator. That's the path to healing. That's, that's the way that we think about the relationships that we have with other people that don't agree with us. Otherwise, you know, let's hold on to and be directed by our anger if we remove God from the equation. It's so easy for us when we're angry to forget the character of God. God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's perfect, holy, and just. He's transcendent. He is the greatest good. And when we forget his character, we forget the danger we're in because of our own sin the wrath of hell and separation from God that we deserve, that we can't make it on our own. Uh, we forget how far God went to forgive us despite him being wholly justified in his anger against our own sin. 
God is just and God is loving. So only God could create a way to satisfy his justice and his mercy. And he paid the price himself with self-sacrificial love through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus was sinless. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was tried over and over again. He was beat, spit upon, nails driven through his wrist and feet, attaching him to the ultimate death sentence, a cross. And yet he still forgives and he still extends grace in the midst of his justice. And so as a result of all that, this is, this is how our lives are described when it comes to how we interact with other people and with our world. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's the good news of Jesus, and that's the good news that we're called to be ambassadors of. Not ambassadors of our opinions, not ambassadors of whatever division we have against someone else, but ambassadors of Jesus. And so I want to give you just a practical assessment when it comes to your anger, my anger, and the righteousness of God. I'm going to give you three questions, and the first is this. When you're angry, what are you hearing? Your anger might be drowning out the very voice you need to listen to. Your anger, righteous though it may be, will not produce the righteousness of God. And so in what way are you allowing, as James says in verse 21, the Holy Spirit, God's word, to be the voice that you're hearing in the midst of that, humbly accepting that, and then moving forward and pursuing reconciled relationships with others so that they can be reconciled to God. What voices are you listening to? What are you hearing? Second question is this. What is your anger doing to your mindset? In Philippians chapter 4, verses, verse 8, Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Unresolved bitterness and anger and rage, uh, these don't allow us to think about these things because they consume our time, they consume our energy, they consume our waking hours. It leaves a wake of casualties, none more regrettable than the fact that we have lost an opportunity to reconcile somebody's relationship to God. The grace of forgiveness is that we remove the power over us of what we can't control and replace our trust in the one who can. And so, yes, somebody may believe something different than us. Somebody may be completely wrong. And yet our response to them, even if it's justified anger, leads to not being driven by that anger, but by helping them see the hope that we have based on the way we think and view the world, by thinking about whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Those are the things that we want to communicate and portray to others. And the third question is this, what is your anger doing to your relationships? Because I know what it's not doing, it's not helping. If your anger keeps you from being relationally connected to others who don't share your views, for example, it's not producing the righteousness of God. Because you've got to ask yourself, what am I an ambassador of? 
right now, if I were to look through my communication, particularly with people who I don't agree with, because most of the time that's who we think our anger is directed to, but it also harms the people that are close to us that we love as well. It's a byproduct of it. What are we an ambassador of? Is it an opinion about an event that's going on right now? Or is it of the gospel of Jesus? There's so many temporary things that we get caught up in, myself included. This is just, this message is just as much for me as it is for anyone else. There's so many temporary things that we get caught up in that have the potential to distance us more socially than a pandemic or politics or anything else ever could. And so this week, I just want to encourage you, when you become angry, ask yourself, what voice am I listening to? Am, am I humbly accepting God's word that, that I should be in daily and that has been planted into my, into my life to address the shortcomings of anger and sin in my life? And then how can I reconcile with other people? If I've allowed anger to dictate my response or how I interact with someone else, how can I reconcile that? And then how can I then become an ambassador of the gospel of Jesus? And one of the things we do every week at Velocity is we, we come to this point where we share in communion with each other because it centers us on the perspective that God calls us to have in our lives. And so in this moment, it represents so many things. As we're taking this bread and we're taking this juice together that reminds us of Jesus' broken body and shed blood on the cross, and also of his resurrection, that, that is, in this moment, we're reminded of God's justice, we're reminded of his grace, and we're reminded of his reconciliation. And those are the things that he calls us to. This, this leads to love in our lives, and this is the love that we're called to produce and to share with everyone that we come into contact with. As we prepare to take communion together this morning, let's pray. God, anger is a problem for me. It's something I struggle with. And God, I like to think most of the time it's centered around injustice and caring about things that you care about, but I know a lot of the times it's about me. It's about me not getting what I want versus being concerned about what you want, what you want for me, what you want for the world, what you want for the other people in my life. God, I ask that you would convict and continue to do so with your Holy Spirit, whether it's me, whether it's someone else, that you would continue to, uh, to show us through your word where we can shift our energies from ourselves to you and for what you desire in our lives. God, we praise you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the grace that you extend to us. God, we ask you for the strength to extend that same grace to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.